Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. In the bullpen today, we have Carrie Sheffield. Ms. Sheffield is a senior fellow at Independent Women's Forum. She has a long, extensive career in broadcasting and reporting, political and the heel. She used to be a reporter for. Um, look up her bio when you get a moment. Ms. Sheffield, thank you for being on Indisputable. Dr. Richie, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So today we're going to chop it up about CRT, critical race theory. So I do not want to presume what you believe about critical race theory. So let me just ask you, what are your thoughts about critical race theory? Sure. So I, I, from the very get go, I just want to say I very much agree that we should teach unvarnished, take no whitewashing of history, truth, honest reconciliation about what our history is in America. And it's true, we have done a horrific, you know, job of treating African Americans as slaves. We should not shy away from controversial history by no means. So I want to put that out there first. Um, we, we need to go over it all, not just slavery, but also Jim Crow, segregation, all of it. My issue though, is that I think that CRT takes it a step further and then basically rejects Dr. King's wish. Rejects the idea that he said that we should look at each other by the content of our character and not by the color of our skin. And so that's where a lot of people, including myself, are pushing back, at least on the way it's being presented in schools today, which is to divide people based on race. That if you're white, you are inherently, no matter what you do, genetically, you are a suppressor. And if you are black or Latino or especially black or any minority, you are inherently oppressed. I just think that that is toxic and I think it's gonna trap people and it's gonna create a paranoia between the races at a time when we need to be coming together. You know, I really do take offense when people misuse the word and the philosophy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. So what you just stated was inaccurate. Dr. King actually believed in the tenets of critical race theory. I will give you an example. Dr. King said that for black people to gain an economic footing in America, the American government needs to do a massive social program known as universal basic income for black people only. Why? Because he believed that the issue was no longer the individual racist in America, but in fact, the system itself. And the system he was talking about in particular was the system of economy. And he said, in order to correct this system, you can't correct it by white people saying, it's okay for you to eat at our restaurants or it's okay for you to stay at our hotels. You literally have to remedy the problem by way of a system approach. Dr. King also said in an interview with NBC after 1964 that his American dream had actually become an American nightmare. He also said, Ms. Sheffield, that he did not believe white Americans were as racist as they were. His popularity during the era that you're talking about was at 6%. The nonviolent Dr. King that you celebrate today 
only 6% of white Americans had a favorable view of him. He talked about the system approach as it relates to the military and how the Vietnam War was a war that sent black people off, black children off to be slain when domestically they had no respect at home. So when you take one excerpt from one speech out of context in order to apply it to a macrocosm of his philosophy, it simply doesn't fit. Dr. King believed that many of our challenges in the United States of America could be connected back to a system reality rather than just individual racist people. Well, this is why I love having dialogues and I appreciate you having me on your program to talk about this because yeah, I, I agree we should absolutely debate. Dr. King is one of my heroes, I've, I've read his books. The very last book, and I agree you shouldn't just look at one speech. If you look at the very last book that he wrote, he delved into this question because you said that I am lionizing the peaceful Dr. King. He, he, he believed that until his death, he never believed in, in violence. He never believed in what we're seeing with the rioting and the burning down of predominantly black neighborhoods by BLM. He rejected that explicitly. In the very last book he wrote before his death, he said that he was, he was suspicious and he was angry and he disagreed. He said, I understand where they're coming from, but it's ultimately flawed. Um, this notion of using violence to achieve your means. He completely rejected it and that Ms. is- Sheffield. And so I also wanna- Okay, well, hold on, wait a minute, ma'am. In all due respect, Ms. Sheffield, number one, we're talking about critical race theory, number one. You just started a whole new conversation about protest, then violence that does not connect to critical race theory whatsoever. There's no connector there. But since you wanna go down that rabbit hole, I can go down that rabbit hole with you. There is nothing violent. Absolutely, there are many, if you were to ask the BLM rioters, do you support critical race theory? There would be virtually zero people who would disagree with it. So absolutely, that the CRT was developed at elite universities and it's been used sadly to, to brainwash elite people to, to use their <laughs> megaphones to, okay. uh, to perpetuate. Like for example, I think I agree mm-hmm. with you that there are white people who created systems that mm-hmm. have suppressed black Americans. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you who those people are. FDR, you know who created redlining in this country? Mm-hmm. It was a white liberal. So I, I, don't, I, I don't give a damn who created it. If it's no, a I, racist I, I, policy, it's racist policy. But Ms. Sheffield, sure. I have limited time on the show. I must address what you've said about violence, um, that black lives matter, that they are somehow burning down their own cities. See, once again, that's the whole trickery that you all utilize in order to maintain your position. Uh, black lives matter uh, as a movement and Black Lives Matter as an organization, they have never burnt down any community. And I will ask you, how many members of Black Lives Matter have been arrested for terrorism? How many? Uh, when you're talking about, I guess how it depends on- How many members of Black Lives Matter have been arrested for burning down their own communities? How many members of the group have been arrested for that? That's called terrorism. I, how many I, members of Black Lives Matter, cuz you said these are Black Lives Matter protesters engaging in violence. How many of them have been arrested for it? Minnesota, we're talking about- How many have been arrested, madam? (laughs) If you invite me back, I will give you a detailed list of all- Okay, next time have your facts together before you come into the bullpen. The answer is zero. Not one member of Black Lives Matter has ever been arrested for destroying property or burning down a building. However, 
you have plenty of individuals who were connected to the terrorist attack that took place on January 6th that were connected also to what? Trump campaign, Trump supporters, Trump congressional people, Trump surrogates. Would you like me to blame you for what happened on January 6th? Or would you like me to blame the people that engaged in that activity only? Which one would you like me to do? The, the, the philosophy of critical race theory is trying to pit races against each other. No. And that is not a philosophy that, that is not correct. Donald what is Trump critical race taught. theory? It is not a philosophy that I believe. What is critical, critical race theory? Critical race theory is a that, that there is inherently oppressors and the oppressed. That no matter what you do, the color of your skin in America will put you in a camp. It, That's it not makes what critical race theory teaches. That's what it teaches. I mean, no, it does not. I teach, Madam, I, I've been teaching critical race theory before it became a great evil for you all. I've been teaching critical race theory for five years. What you just said is inaccurate. That is not what critical race theory teaches. Critical race theory teaches that systems are biased against marginalized people. That's what critical race theory teaches. And you can de-emphasize individual racist people. In other words, according to CRT, if you eliminated most racist people in America, let's say all of a sudden uh, most Racist white people woke up tomorrow and said, I am no longer going to be racist, right? It still would not change the inequity that exists connected to race. Because the systems, as you have admitted on my program, the systems that exist are still in place. You admitted critical race theory on my show. You no. said these systems exist. But critical I'm, race theory only says yeah. you must analyze these systems so that you can find remedy to these systems. And that is the only way you will start actually creating equitable outcomes. But if you keep focusing on individual racist people without focusing on these systems, you will always have unequal outcomes. That's what it teaches. You agree to that on this program, madam. I agree to you that absolutely there are systems that were put in place by white liberal racists like FDR, like LBJ. LBJ was a racist. That, so that's, it's that's really funny sad that the. But you want to politicize it. Has, um, no, I, I'm talking about the structures. The structures of. Who wrote the Constitution? Were those liberals? The, were those liberals that told me that I'm three fifths of a man? Who the wrote the Declaration of Independence that you know said. Native you know, Americans are savages. Person, Who wrote that? The three-fifths of a person was was put in place by the North to punish the South because the Southerners wanted they wanted to have the full representation, and they said, "No, we're punishing you because you have slaves." That's why they put the three-fifths uh, because the Northerners didn't like slavery. Ms. The Shepard, Southerners wanted them the to be benefit, as close. Here's the benefit that you have: you have a particular privilege. While you can argue and debate based on the nuances of what political party these folks subscribe to. I'm here telling you that as a black male, I do not give a damn what political party they belong to. Because we have racist people that are Democrats, we have racist people that are Republicans, we have racist people that bear no party affiliation whatsoever. So their party affiliation means nothing to me. I'm trying to fight system oppression that exists in the United States of America, system oppression that you agree exists. So the yeah. question is, why are you not presenting a remedy to that systematic oppression. Okay, let me go through, if, if I can go through some sure. of these policies. Because we're in agreement here. And my problem politically, and then I'll get into the systems. 
politically, I think it's heartbreaking and tragic that the Democratic Party has used black voters and exploited them to keep the systems in place. Systems, for example, like redlining. FDR, a white liberal, was the one who created redlining. He did it after World War II. And the redlining is the precursor to what we see now, the system of rewarding bad teachers and keeping black and brown students trapped in failing schools. That was a system that was created by white liberals and it's maintained by white liberals like Joe Biden and the leader of the, the national teachers unions. They're white liberals. Let me tell you another group in Hollywood. The Hollywood executives are white liberals. They donate to Democrats. They're progressive. They don't do they you are if you're a conservative in Hollywood, you are shut out. But guess who profits off the exploitation of black men and black women in Hollywood? White liberals. They're the ones who are creating the stereotypes of black women black men as criminals of black women. They're the ones who profit all of this. So let me ask you, let me ask you a question. Let me tell you another system. Okay, let me let me ma'am, I don't I don't have unlimited time. You gotta make your points and then allow me to respond. As I said before, I could care less about their party affiliation. I put my foot up a Democrat as soon as I will put it up a Republican. So you got the wrong guy for that. I'm an equal opportunity individual. So let's be very clear about well, what you're saying. Because most black voters sadly are not, they're being deceived by the Democrats. Well, let me explain to you why black, I'm glad you brought that up. Let me explain to you why most black voters do vote for Democrats. When you take an analysis over the last 30 years of Democratic presidents versus Republican presidents, unemployment decreases significantly under Democratic presidents, and it actually goes up under Republican presidents by 2%. When you look at household median income, household median income increases by roughly $1,000 per year under Democratic presidents, and it actually goes the other way, goes in the opposite direction under Republican presidents. Under Democratic presidents, Access to higher education increases, more black people go to college, more black people graduate from high school, more black people are able to get involved in trade and skills that are paid for and subsidized through government grants and programs. The question will be why would black folks not vote for Democrats when they win economically, socially, politically and educationally under their systems or under their policies. That is the reality, those are facts that black people uh, historically win under Democratic leadership more so than under Republican leadership. Now, does that mean Democrats do it all correctly? Hell no. No, there are plenty that Democrats should do more of. But I challenge you to name one policy that has changed the outcome of black Americans in the United States of America that currently is being championed by a Republican. Absolutely. Well, if you look at the first three years of the Trump administration, because the fourth year was the wild card with the pandemic. For the first three years, and I believe this is why black men and black women both increased their vote for Trump from 2016 to 2020. That's a fact. Not only black voters, Latino voters and Asian voters increased their margin for President Trump because throw out the COVID year, because that was a wild card and one in a hundred year event. The first three years, we actually saw the record shattering wealth for black Americans, wage increase for black Americans, business ownership for black Americans. So the policies, the policies themselves that Republicans through the tax plan, and we know the businesses who were hiring these black and minority workers, they said they credited the tax plan that the Republicans passed for them to be able to hire more workers. So that's a big thing. Another, you mentioned education. President Trump signed permanent support for HBCUs every year Mm. under 
Democrats and Republicans, they had to come back and ask for more. But President Trump ensured that that would be in perpetuity in place, that funding that deserves to be in funding. So there's that. And also on the issue of immigration, I spoke to the niece of Martin Luther King, Alveda King. She said that what President Trump was doing on immigration, that it was helping black workers. He said that the immigrant, she said that protecting our borders, it's a human right. It's a human right for black US citizens or any US citizen to be protected against illegal workers who are coming in and flooding the market with illegal labor that suppresses right. the wages. Allow me to respond. Um, I will tackle the HBCU comment first. Uh, I'm a graduate of an HBCU, I lecture at an HBCU. You're incorrect about what Donald Trump actually did to impact HBCUs. Now I will also say to qualify my content to qualify my content, I will also say that President Barack Obama was no friend to HBCUs in comparison. All right, I will say that clearly and I said it during his administration. What Donald Trump did was de facto defund HBCUs. He signed a proclamation that never got funded because he never fought for it in the budget. It never increased the overall budget of HBCUs. He then defunded HBCUs by proposing from the White House budget the elimination of something called the Federal Trio Program. Many people did not pick up on this because a lot of folks don't know what the Federal Trio Program is. The Federal Trio Program is a federal subsidy for what's called educational talent search and upward bound. Those programs are utilized in communities, primarily urban communities, where you have individuals who are trying to become first time college students in their families. It is a lifeline between HBCUs and depressed communities all across America. He proposed to defund that program every single time, eliminating and reducing significantly the budget for HBCUs for that particular federal grant. That is a fact. Let me go to the employment issue. You talk about massive employment. The truth is the employment trajectory was moving in the right direction under President Barack Obama. And under President Barack Obama, you had more employment. It was a history record setting employment increase under President Barack Obama. And Donald Trump maintained the numbers, but then something happened in the job market. The Trump administration started using what's called a U3 rating system rather than a U6 rating system to talk about their job numbers. Not many people discuss it. A U3 rating system says if you work for one hour in this one survey month, the administration is going to count you as employed. A U6 rating system provides context to those numbers and says if you work one hour, we're not saying you're employed, we're counting that as one hour of contract work. The U6 rating system contextualizes the data so that you know who has a seasonal job, who has a job that pays the bills, and who has a job that is a contract job that really they're not working any hours. But they did a trickaroo. They used a U3 rating system and then decided to proclaim that they were somehow fixing the jobs economy and they were not. Here's the other reality under Donald Trump. More black people. Um, we're having to work multiple jobs in order to make ends meet. In addition to that, uh, household median income fell under uh, Donald Trump, and also home ownership with African Americans fell 
under the presidency of Donald Trump. And black people started to make less per dollar than their white counterparts for the same job with similar background and experience because the DOJ refused to prosecute open discrimination at major companies all across the country. So now you have black folks that were making up to 80% on the dollar of their white counterparts. It dropped down dramatically because of the DOJ's policy. So that's not a win for black people, but it is it is a way that it is the way that Trump used it in order to promote his numbers. Third, let's talk about immigration. I'm glad you brought up immigration. Brown folks are not my enemy. You see, brown folks have never been the enemy of black folks. The number one job destroyer in the United States of America is automation. Automation is the number one job destroyer. But we don't talk about automation, we talk about poor immigrants. Well, explain this to me, Ms. Sheffield, explain this to me. The same federal law that says it is against the law to work undocumented in the United States. That same federal law has a subsection that says it's against the law to hire them. So why do I see 600 brown workers being arrested at a warehouse? But I don't see the CEO being taken away in handcuffs. I don't see the hiring manager being taken away in handcuffs. I don't see the HR director being taken away in handcuffs. Why is it that I'm only seeing the people who were doing the daily labor being taken away in handcuffs when it's a violation of the same federal law? Hey, I'm with you. These these employers should not be be hiring them, and they should be punished to the full extent. You and I are very much in agreement with that, absolutely. And the other issue, and I, I really appreciate that we're responding and we're having a dialogue about substance because this doesn't happen. So I I just want to thank you. So, um, but in terms of uh, like I said. Go to the HBC presidents themselves. I, there was statement after statement, and so yes, there might be some specific issues that you took um, that deserve attention. But overall, that you heard from the leaders themselves, they were very grateful. And also, the voters themselves. Again, don't take my word for it. Look at the Black and Latino and Asian voters who voted for Trump at higher numbers than before, in record levels for uh, the GOP. And look, it's nothing to write home about for the GOP. They have a lot more work to do. But I want to talk about a few other problems. Policies that includes criminal justice reform, the First Step Act, that over 90% Well, of well let's, let's do this, I'm uh, running out of time. But I do need to point out that Mitt, Mitt Romney got more black votes than Donald Trump. Uh, so you, you can't just say, oh, Trump magically no, got a higher had more black people. No, he got he, uh, Trump got a higher percentage both in 16 and 20 than Romney. I, I checked Mitt that, Romney I checked got the data on that. Say that again. I, I wrote about this for CNN and other places. Romney only got 5% in 12, and I believe it was 6, 6% for, it was definitely higher for Trump in 16. So, so you're saying, okay, he, so Biden, I'm sorry, about, not Biden, but Romney got 5% from black folks, and you're saying Trump got 6% from black people. Yeah, again, it's not okay. a thing to write home about. All right, I checked, I checked it, yeah, yeah. but go ahead. We, we got two minutes, I want you to have the final word, go ahead. Thanks, doctor. Um, well, so as I was saying, it's not just the other issues we're talking about, the um, the campus assault reform. So Obama uh, put in these things that denied due process when anyone on a college campus um, is uh, accused of sexual assault. And Trump said, we're not gonna let that happen. And the number one benefactor, according to a study um, of what Trump did on college campuses for people who are accused of sexual assault, it benefited black 
young black men to allow them to have justice brought to them. Because it's sort of the the similar, I had one leader tell me that what was happening on college campuses, they mm-hmm. ended up targeting young black men. It was like a Jim Crow era type All right, policy. We, got, we have one minute. Ms. Sheffield, can you explain to me quickly why the Trump administration decided to defund reentry programs, halfway, halfway houses, and took away the Pell Grant program inside of prisons that absolutely helped individuals not engage in recidivism after release. Well, I'd have to look at the specific details of that. I do know overall that recidivism and the First Step Act and looking at what Trump did and his people, Jerron Smith, who's a friend of mine there, he worked with groups all over the spectrum. He worked with my my friends with a number of civil rights organizations yeah. and Jones. They were for this. So I'd have to look at the specifics of what okay. you're talking about. But I do know- and that's fair. That it was something that was very much supported by many leaders on both sides of the aisle. Absolutely, absolutely. And and I wish they would have completed it by making sure the other variables, the wraparound services were in place as well. You can't t- take one step forward and then take 10 steps back on the policy and tell me it's a good thing. 0.02%, less than 1% of the black population was impacted by the First Step Act. That's just to provide some context. Ms. Sheffield, it's been a pleasure to have you on Indisputable. Thank you. Thank you.